0: Arizona House Speaker Rusty Bowers is bucking his Republican Party again. In the early weeks after the 2020 election, the Mesa Republican resisted direct appeals by President Donald Trump and key allies to participate in a scheme to set aside the certified election results in Arizona. He's still getting lobbied by some in that orbit. And he's still pushing back. You'll hear him reference a recent effort to get his support on a bill to decertify the 2020 presidential election results. That effort, up until today's episode of The Gaggle, was previously unknown.
1: At the outset of this year's legislative session, Bowers emphatically killed one bill that would have banned voting machines and mail voting, among other things. Bowers assigned the bill to 12 House committees, effectively ensuring its demise. He also came out against another bill that would set aside the 2020 presidential results. Bowers called the legislation profoundly unwise. That bill was introduced by GOP representative Mark Fincham. He's a Trump loyalist who sought to convince Bowers to undermine Arizona's election results. He attended a January 6th rally and is now the subject of a subpoena by the US House of Representatives committee studying the January 6th insurrection.
0: More recently, Bowers banned from his chamber Ethan Schmidt Crockett, an anti-masking advocate who has used social media to bully and harass those who have followed scientific guidance on managing the spread of disease.
1: Bowers also co-sponsored a bill with Democratic representative Amy Shaw that would strengthen state laws banning discrimination against those in the LGBT community. It's worth noting that Bowers is no liberal, He has, for example, backed Governor Doug Ducey's many tax cut and school choice proposals and during an earlier stint in the state house decades ago, opposed same-sex marriage.
0: Given all those cross currents, we wanted to hear directly from the speaker, an artist by trade who is charting a decidedly different path than many in his party these days. Welcome to The Gaggle, a politics podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. I'm Yvonne Winchett Sanchez with Ron Hansen. Today, we meet House Speaker Rusty Bowers in a conference room in his office suite to hear more. Mr. Speaker, welcome to the gaggle.
2: Well, I'm, I feel just so welcome. Thank you. Thanks for letting me come. <laughs>
0: Speaker Bowers, it seems like the center of gravity for the GOP in Arizona has continued moving to the right, even after former President uh, Trump's administration ended and President Joe Biden narrowly won the state. You've notably remained on ground more in line with traditional Republican priorities. You are the Speaker of the House, but do you feel like you are in sync with the majority of your party these days?
2: I feel I'm in sync with the majority of those who don't, who aren't as vocal. Um, So as in after something happens, the calls and the visuals and the intercepts that I have with regular people is generally very positive. In fact, I don't know of anywhere I've ever been at a supermarket or at church or any other regular place that somebody confronts me but in in the phone calls and media and and email and that type of interchange no i don't feel like i'm in sync with with if that's the party i'm not in sync with that party
0: and when you talk about the discrepancy between the different groups of people. What do you what do you mean by that?
2: The social media, which to me is I don't know if that's entirely accurate, but emails and uh, voicemails, especially to the office here, emails on my private email that was let out by others some time ago, uh, and I have not changed it. Uh, a large, and maybe I'm just now sensitized to when I see the the byline, you know, uh, release the, and, or hear the, or you, uh, explicative, that I kind of think that might be somebody who's more vocal. You know, somebody who's saying, hey, good, vote X on such and such a bill. That's not a party description, but... So on the personal level of what a party is supposed to think and from the, the published things thus far out of our state party and the county party, uh, their positions on me and other things and other people, uh, I feel like there's a, a division between where I feel what the party is and what the principles are, that there has been an adoption of a more... Uh, you know thuggish uh, adversarial, aggressive uh, mentality that I d- is is not what a party should be, and generally, I think the if the baseline of that is beating people up is what the Constitution wants us to do, then that's not the Constitution i I support it.
0: Contrast that with what you hear from. Your friends, the people that you run into in the supermarket, people at church. What do you hear from them?
2: And I'll grant you that you know that's a that's a known entity for years. Generally, people move in and out of a ward or a church congregation. The people I see at the supermarket are probably the same people, or at the gas station or wherever jogging, walking, um, and and they'll usually I, I, a guy I rarely speak to in my neighborhood. Uh, stopped his car and I'm going uh oh is the dog out it's the first thing I think because our dog introduces to everybody and and he says hey I just want you to know that I've been reading what you're doing and you're doing a good job thanks and I said hey man thanks you know and he drives off so g- generally it's that type of thing rusty man you got you got courage. <laughs> I said, No, I don't. Just like anybody else. Just you, you, you face it when it comes, and you move, you try to move on. But yesterday, a guy started crying. A man, an elderly man. He said, I wasn't planning to choke up. But man, that took real courage. <laughs> and I said, I, I, I'm. Thank you. I just don't feel like that's you know something I push the button for. You know, whatever. Thanks, I, I, I love you. Thanks, <laughs> type of thing. It was, it was kind of humbling.
1: You've described your party in some pretty candid terms now, referring to it as thuggish and uh, suggesting it's a pretty combative uh, caucus in many ways. You have a tough job. You're not just a member here. You are the Speaker of the House. You're supposed to help move legislation forward. How do you do that? in the current political environment right now, how are you, what, what leadership management
2: style do you bring to the table? How is that adjusted, if at all? I, I think I had a management style. I my, my goal was civility and discourse, but in the midst of all this, A, I don't know how many, 1600 bills that we have to go through and kind of sort through, and I say, I, I, we're not hearing that bill, You know, that's the couch. Put it over there. And or, okay, this bill, I can see it getting a hearing, and I'm hoping that it will get a good hearing. There'll be, you know, and that it's put through the meat grinder and that hopefully something good comes out. And all too often, there's no change whatsoever. I think there's a mentality that if it's a Republican bill, you vote for it. And maybe that's generally what you could do, And it's been brought to my attention because I voted against a bill right on the floor when I saw it. And I thought, "Um, you know, I really agree with that bill. And and it would be disingenuous of me to vote in a different way. And I didn't get a chance when it came out to really look at all the bills. And so I voted against it. And that caused a hubbub in staff because they said, okay, our rule here is if you're going to vote against it, make sure the sponsor knows. And I said, I never saw it. So now we have a, a, another degree of review where we run all the bills that'll be going up on the, on the board. And if we have to hold one, because it would die with my vote, then we hold that off the agenda. As a management style, that's not a management style. That's a, that's a reactionary style. And so it's moved more away from anything proactive, you know, hey, let's meet, to reacting, uh, emergency, you know, Dive, dive, dive. The klaxon goes off. And, okay, regroup. How do we handle this? And that's not really, that's really not management. It is management by message. You get the message out there, okay. If they still come at me, they're going to get the same treatment. That's a management of a a kind, but it's not a management that I'm comfortable with doing. It's just a management of necessity right now.
0: How do you manage all the different personalities and the and the competing interests within the caucus.
2: That's a that's a great question. Uh, we have a very very, I I think we have a great caucus. And that w- on issues when we say okay, this is one we need to unite on. That generally, that's exactly what happens. There is a unity by necessity. But. We have also a diverse caucus in that some come from a city background, some from a county background, from a government period background, private business background, kind of a laissez-faire background. And all of those, it's like playing chess. If you could call it a lethal chess, because something might die out of it, that being a bill, then we play lethal chess. And you try to move your bill, and maybe your bill gets shined up in this committee with this amendment and then it moves over and we say okay the guy you've got to watch out for is right there so how do we either get to him and something that's acceptable or how do we get around him or her and in this case many times it's her being the appropriations chairman or the health chair or the education chair and but the bottom line is there's still 31 of us so if we want to get around somebody which you could do if you had 36 and move legislation can't do that here because at the end of the day if you get around somebody they just they're sitting right there at the end vote when it goes up on the board there's that no and you say why didn't you tell me what are you talking about you kept your bill out of my my committee okay there's what you get you know it's so there isn't any flexibility when you only have 31 and 16 no flexibility everybody's still the kingmaker
1: In the weeks and months between the 2020 presidential election and the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol, you were directly and repeatedly contacted by former President Trump and his allies, such as Rudy Giuliani, law professor John Eastman, Congressman Andy Biggs. Um, The special committee investigating the insurrection questioned you about these matters. Can you tell us about the nature of
2: their questions? I don't know, I wouldn't say there were many softballs, but they, uh, I think there was a little background, uh, who players were relative to the incident itself. What did I know about what happened? A lot of that was secondhand information to me. They asked me about the phone calls, what the content of them was, and I think it was a little more, I think we probably did a better job of any minutiae in those phone calls. What did I feel out of them? Did I feel I was intimidated or I was being pressured or was there any quid pro quo type stuff? Uh, those were generally the tenor. It it wasn't generally about... There were some things about what other influences were going on in your life, what types of pressures were you under and in these situations. So it, was, it had a comprehensive nature but generally focused on my interaction with players who mm, were in, were instrumental, obviously, in the election and also in, in the day, on the events of, of the 6th.
1: So you noted the quid pro quo question. What was your answer?
2: I, I don't do quid pro quos. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember what the question was relative, but were those, did I feel a pressure? You know, if you do this, you know, things, uh, so-and-so will be a friend or... That may be more intimated than vocalized. That's always what you see around here. But those were, you may want to back that out. Maybe quit because there was never a, Mr. Bowers, if you do this, this, we will benefit you that way. Never was. Don't ever remember anything like that.
0: Did it seem to you that the investigators were taking this matter seriously or did it seem to be some sort of partisan witch hunt as some within the republican party have have cast it to be
2: right off the bat people don't drive here from washington or fly out here for fun i mean maybe i'm that magnetic but i i kind of doubt it um but they they were serious they were professional there wasn't a lot of joking um i've i certainly felt it was this was a serious deal uh, but I, I feel pretty confident that I didn't do anything wrong. And so I, you know, I answered to the best of my ability. They were very professional. They, were, they tried to be comprehensive. They would give me opportunity, if there's anything else on this that you think you should say, you know, or bring up, that might be helpful one way or the other. I was straight up with them about President Trump. President Trump never threatened me. In fact, he, he was, if there was a, a pre-call back there somewhere between him and Giuliani, he would say, okay, I'm going to be the good cop. You be the bad cop. I have no idea. You know, that's just, that's just, I'm just saying that if that happened, it certainly came out that way because he was, he was very respectful. He he got on uh, Giuliani a couple of times. Hey, Matt, come on, Giuliani. Come on, Rudy. You never call him Giuliani. Come on, Rudy, give him what he wants. What does he want? What's the ask? And (laughs) so I thought, hey, you know, he was, he was pretty, Regular guy. But they were, I thought they were, they were pretty straight up, and I didn't feel like they were trying to peg somebody or what can you give us about this or what can you give us about that. Uh, they didn't ask me my opinion of the sixth. They didn't ask me my opinion of any uh, activity that somebody's doing. It was just what do you know about it and trying to be kind of neutral on any politicalized or politicized direction.
0: Since your meeting with the investigators, you obviously have not bent to election deniers who want to see the 2020 election results set aside or somehow fundamentally alter the way the state um, votes moving forward, presumably, in some ways, to benefit Republicans. You came out against Representative Fincham's bill to set aside the 2020 election, for example, and you all but killed another piece of legislation by Representative John Fillmore that would have banned voting machines and mail voting. Walk us through your thinking on those two pieces of legislation.
2: Well, as I understood them... uh, (laughs) Go get the stack of paper on my desk. (laughs) It's the gift that keeps on giving... (laughs) <laughs> Last week, I uh, I got a several phone calls from a gentleman by the name of Epp. I don't know how you pronounce it, but I think it's Boris Epstein. Epstein, something like that. And and uh, I didn't know. I didn't. I thought I thought it was like New Jersey or somewhere. I'm thinking, okay. I prioritized the phone calls coming in, and I finally got to him. And I can't avoid it. Call him, and he kind of a booming personality on the other side. And uh, remember me, I was back during the, the time of the investigation and and I was on the Trump team. And uh, I'd really like to talk to you if I could about uh, this bill of Mr. Fincham's, the resolution calling on the legislature to uh, decertify the election. I said, Why are we talking about? I mean, my gist, I won't go into, I, I said that this was between us. Now, what he does with it is up to him and what I do with it is up to me. And I don't, I'm not inclined because he did call. I did tell him I wasn't going to do it like a lot of times. And I, and I said, also, just bring me the proof. Rudy didn't bring it. Nobody brings me the proof. They say, we've got the proof. The president says, get him the proof, Rudy, get him the proof. Nobody ever brings me the proof. Bring me the proof, I said to this gentleman. And he says, if we brought you the proof, what is the difference? I said, just bring me the proof. When you give, If I see the proof, we'll talk about it. So he said, okay, I'll call Fincham and get him to bring you the proof. Mr. Fincham didn't walk in the room to my office. Maybe he still got it somewhere else. But this is the proof. There it is. We put a, a kind of a table of contents on it but here's the proof and it is i got a a letter mr fincham's book report or or his i think it was a paper he did for his legal studies class that's pretty conjection on my part but that's that and i've got a, a kind of a transcript of a discussion with mr biggs i've got his bill i've got three letters from eastman and uh what's his name from Montana, Uh, Nettleson. Those, one's an author of two of them, one's an author of three of them. I've got a committee transcript from Washington, so we can now break it. And I've got all these. These are transfers when, when election ballots are processed. This form is filled out when a group of ballots in a package are processed and if it's open, there's a seal on it that has a number and that number is here. And if it's resealed, I believe it goes here. Anyway, these are official ballots that shows who saw it, who witnessed it. And down here, if this isn't filled out, it's because it was on a week. It was on a Sunday and there's not anybody here to do this part. But to a Republican a Democrat, fill this out. That's my proof. That's the proof that makes it worthwhile for me to throw out the the election of 2.3, 2.4 million people in Maricopa County and across the state, that we're just gonna throw that out. There's my proof. Now back to your question. What do I think of the bill? What is the nut of the bill? Basically his bill just calls for us to decertify the election.
0: So for our audience's purposes, we are looking at about a one and a half inch stack of paperwork. And it looks as though, according to your table of contents, Boris Epstein essentially asserted that thousands of dead people had voted. Thousands of undocumented immigrants had voted and uh, thousands of people had uh, voted and then moved. You asked him to send you the proof. And as you recounted just now, he said that uh, Representative Mark Fincham would um get you the proof we're looking at it right now
2: I don't now again Fincham didn't walk in the office I think his assistant brought it in but I'm presuming there was never an explanation no explanation of any of this just there it is buddy there's the proof so back to your question his bill wants me to decertify the election and 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 or to put it up for the vote of the body which gets back to the management question how do you manage that if that goes on the floor it's not, a, it's not a serious discussion. It's pure punch-in-the-face politics. Now we're putting your name on the wall. You're running for election. And Bowers, get out of the way because now it's you get to put your name, but everybody else does too and to see. And what do we see on that? We just see somebody bullying, leveraging, pushing for something, and I'm not going to do that to the body. I'm not going to do it to the house. I feel some responsibility that this is nothing but another fundraising uh, outside methodology to get get street cred that I'm doing something. Well, if this is proof, then I got to tell you, (laughs) it wouldn't take much to execute me with proof. Boom. So then what was the other one? Fillmore's bill.
0: This is the one that you assigned to 12 different committees.
2: They say... Uh, it, I think it had day of voting, uh, hand count, but it also had that there would be a a decertification process of the election. I believe that was in that same bill. And so it, I just said, okay, we're not going there. And so I'm trying to give, give people a chance. We're going to make a little point here that if you're going to bring this stuff that puts this body in in basically a laughable position that we're supposed to— Examine this stuff by some method that's at least thoughtful. If this is that concept in that bill, dooms that bill. And I want to, I want to. And they said, well, double assign it, double assign it. Why don't we just put every? I said, I'll even put, I'll even put this bill on Mr. Cook's fire ad hoc committee, if I can. But an ad hoc can't make a recommendation to the body, so I can't do that. And and Mr. Fillmore, bless his heart. He, he, he has he's a very colorful language guy and he let me know what he thought and patted me on the back laughing and he said you know I, I would have gone to every dang committee and I mean he's got a good humor about it and, and and we even gave him a prize the he's got the award for the most committee assignments and we got a plaque made for him he says I ought to at least get a plaque at him I said you got it we'll get it and we did and gave it to him out there so he was you know he's a good He's got a good humor about himself, and, and, and he and I differ on a lot of things. But I like the guy. He's just a crotchety old guy, and you know, he's got a lot of experience in his belt, and he's, he's not put over by any heirs or any of that stuff. And so, I, yeah, I appreciate that. I like him. I've told him, I like you. I'm going to kill your bill. You know We're still friends, if you want to be. But, and, and, and many times we're in sync. So this is, this is the nature of this place. Anyway, so if if that was an answer, then
0: that was one hell of an answer. (laughs)
1: We detailed in our recent series Democracy in Doubt that you never saw the evidence of widespread fraud that No, I did. It's right there. <laughs> There's the evidence. That's I, the only evidence I've ever received. I stand corrected. Um, more seriously, does Arizona need to further update its election procedures to better ensure election integrity? Has anything come to your attention that that commands more systemic
2: changes? In in this state, we had I think close to 80 plus bills in the House, and probably a similar number, if not more, in the Senate that have been, you know, mushed and whatever over there. And it's coming our way. Out of ours, uh, I got rid of a bunch that didn't add, and in fact were grossly uh, antagonistic to accuracy. Timeliness—that's basically those two of my list of three. Those two are are probably the real list, and and dependability, dependability, that you have some confidence in the first two. And so there are some that we've seen. We would like, and one—it's going to take. Uh, I don't think it's just procedural that we would have to. Up to now, they have made asked people to pay. some of the massive lists of all the people who voted versus all the people who could vote those two lists but if I had those on my home computer I could do my own audit and and you know do a rough count myself and there were a couple of other auxiliary lists that are publicly available some only for money up to now And, and they said in a meeting with the county officials that this was to preserve some element of privacy. I said, wait a minute, if you could buy them, what's so private about that? It just goes to the biggest payer. So I think it would, and they just said, that's just our decision, but whatever the legislature decides up to them. So if we can open up this, you can do your own audit. Hey, have an audit party afterwards. Spend a few days with X amount of adult beverages and, and come out with an accurate count. But you could do it yourself, and and I think that kind of bill you can't get more open. There were some other proposals I think that can streamline or alter processes to make them move, where they don't drastically affect dependability and and confidence, accuracy and timeliness. But we're bringing back some that are gonna are gonna add another. If one person's hired to do it, like where you have, here comes a ballot. Somebody's got to cut off that privacy flap that covers sensitive data that you really don't want to pass around the neighborhood. So you have to have somebody slice it off, and that's seven seconds times three and a half million. That's a lot of seconds. So we'd have to ramp up teams, et cetera. The problem with all this is in order to have accuracy, and if you want to have adult eyes as a backup you got to have people here and they got to be R's and D's it can't be just a bunch of republican volunteers at the stadium you got to you got to know that you got backup both ways you got to check and it's very difficult now i think there'll be plenty of volunteers this election lots of people falling all over the place r's and d's but over time what happens with a long view so there are some bills i think that can that can augment and and be a help. It may be a little bit of an inconvenience to county officials, but at least it's something that we can do uh, that we don't do now. And we're talking to them to find out what those impacts are, which is important to me, I think.
0: You've been in and out of this body for a few decades. Can you reflect a bit about how you've seen it change over time? Oh,
2: mercy. I was first elected in 92, and Mr. McClendon and Mr. Hamilton and uh, others were here. Hamilton was one tough dude when it came to rules. He knew him upside and down. He, he was, but had a great heart, was very fair, and uh, wasn't aggressively in your face. Um, not even close. I never felt that way. I never did, although there are, there are stories about him putting a linebacker move on a guy <laughs> in the door of the office here. But we'll just leave that with the colorful apocrypha of the, of the House of Representatives. And a lot more just friendly talk. Being LDS, I don't drink. And so, at first, you kind of had to establish that if you were ever out at a restaurant. And pretty soon everybody's protecting me from the waiter. You sure you don't want this thing? Hey, man, he doesn't drink, you know. So it was, it was kind of a fun little thing. Uh, but camaraderie. Uh, I can remember one specific time when a, a gentleman in our my district had a son that was stricken with leukemia and no money. And I I mentioned it on the floor, and Art came up and stuffed a hundred dollars in my pocket in the back and said, Hey help help out the family and others did the same thing. I mean, there was just a much, it wasn't like there wasn't competition and it wasn't like there wasn't personality, but there was kind of an atmosphere of respect, kindness, and a lack of enmity, just innate enmity. Didn't exist. Uh, certain you know topics, boom, boy, we are divided. We're not going there together. So, you know, we knew when those were up and we would and there was kind of a acknowledgement we're going to differ. Everybody gave spirited talks, but afterwards they would all go off and we, I, would, I would run to my you know teetoler corner and mope but uh, and then we, we got along. It was just there was a we saw him, you'd talk to him in the elevator. there was a lot more free talk. I think to a, late, a large extent, last year, I want to make sure that we understand something. Up to la- through last year, it was exactly the opposite. <laughs> there was constant, just challenging uh, expectation of a very tough, not just tough, but kind of an angry, nasty uh, response out of some members on both sides. I will say one neat thing, if, if I was to reflect, the new crop of Democrats that came in with all the, this big change, and the three Republicans that came in, where did we find these guys? They're all nice. They don't engage in all that stuff. They're very spirited. They have positions, but they're respectful. And wherever we got them, let's go dig in that, that warehouse and bring out some more. Because it really helps the dialogue to have them among us. That, yes, you know somebody's going to stand up, but when they stand up, they they're they're very good at presenting their point and they do it in a way that is that you know it's convivial it's there's a camaraderie and a respectful difference of opinion and which which has been great i've been i'm happy but it hasn't always been that way <laughs> beyond
0: these new members what gives you hope for this institution
2: well, one good hope is that I'm going to be termed out of here, and so that's probably a huge improvement in the overall attitude. But um, the, there is a longevity among, while, while members, and this is just an observation, many have sought to gain, we Republicans included and Democrats included, have sought to gain some change in, in power. I'll just use the word power by coming up with new new things like clean elections term limits and and yet they have had in my view a different outcome especially term limits when people come in here if they have any thought of moving on they got to make big biggest splash as possible and use this place to run their election and to give it meat cred and so I don't know that their opinions are always their own, except through the mirror of, I'm trying to be this position and and wanting to move on. Others have a kind of a longer-term vision. And while they may want someday to run for something else, it doesn't seem to drive their day-to-day opinions. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to where there is hope. Someday we need to reassess if term limits solved a problem or has increased the problem. Because who's more long-term? Staff and lobbying. And like one staffer told me one time, he says, hey, we'll just rope-a-dope you, you'll be gone. And and, of course, that was in a committee meeting and it didn't go well thereafter for his testimony, but at least he was blunt and, and a lot of people thought that way. So I'd like that to, so there's hope. As the people, hopefully, hopefully, Take a better and closer look at the structures of how the house operates, not the knee-jerk social media sound bites that are meant to rile up the base or rile up whomever. that if they look more at the structure and what, why it was designed as it is and why it needs to be preserved along certain norms, then I think that will give them hope. You've done a lot to help provide
1: reminders in this building from the bust of jake flake for example to just the art of this beautiful state and that which presumably reunites a lot of arizonans around certain principles and such you've also painted a picture of a changed uh politics in this state what how do you see the future playing out on this in this polarized era that we're presently in Where do you see us going as a state, as a legislature? Do you think that we will continue to see this bruising kind of political style? Are these new lawmakers an exception? Do you think that that is the future? Look into your crystal ball.
2: Don't have to look far. Count the number of people who are moving to independent. I think that's our crystal ball. And then within parties, there is a—within both parties, there's very polarizing— powers at, at play. And I think the outside, if there are power brokers, you know, whatever that means, but people who exert power on the process or respect the process, many times they are attempting, hopefully, to correct the ship, whether they're chambers of commerce or individual business people or local people involved at the community level. Uh, I think, and I would encourage that input. In, on the stump, all of us are are St. Francis, you know, but behind that door, we act differently. It's very easy to judge quickly, but it's not accurate to judge quickly. And so to both listen to the stump, listen to people, look at the votes, but not just a vote. You'll see the Sierra Club will come out with their with their uh, with their awards or their look at the scorecard and all and several groups do this. But they get to choose what the criteria is of the what? 800, 900 votes that we will take on bills 5, 10 get be used for this criteria. And, and obviously they're important to them, but it hardly gives a comprehensive look at the thought process or the, the character of a legislator. So to look beyond that would be good. But to try to correct it, I think individual citizens thanking for certain things and I've received it. I have. People offering, like my old brother, he says, Do I always have to get you out of trouble? And so <laughs> I said I said, Dan, it's okay. <laughs> I'll get out of this trouble somehow. <laughs> you just stay up there and convalesce on your rocking chair and he's grousing away. So
0: speaking about just a little bit of trouble, we, through Democracy in Doubt, traced um, the party's decision, the Senate Republican Party's decision to embark on the election audit of 2021. You obviously decided to go a different direction. What's your relationship with Senator Fan been like?
2: Uh, I haven't seen any change at all.
0: What has your relationship with Governor Doug Ducey
2: been like? Uh, I don't think that anything about the audit affected. It may have, it may have, but the the relationship with Ducey has been improving. the The longer we have worked together, and it has been, and it has been a very decided step for me to make sure that. I act in a way that will not give the, the governor a reason to unnecessarily impede the legislative process. The governor's position is a very powerful position, and I think he, he handles it uh, well. I mean, he's, I don't see him throwing abuse around. The, the challenge now, uh, listeners will go, well, what about the masks and uh, you know all the COVID stuff? And I'll say, granted, at the time what we knew and what we were afraid of and what we didn't know was a huge factor in the decisions of the governor and us in how we acted. We fled like quail out of here for a couple of weeks and then came back and quickly ended and then ran off in the, in the hills with our masks and our unknowns waiting for the, the, the development of vaccines, et cetera and gratefully they came and a lot of our people perished and and others have been with long-term effects and and yet it opened up all types of opportunity for abuse at the same time abuse of position etc so but as far as going through a difficult period it came down to when for me when the senate overrode one of his vetoes And then it was on me. And I said, and I think my staff also said, you may want to talk to him. So I did, I called him up and we chatted. And I won't divulge the the intricacies of the conversation, but it was basically, Governor, you put me in a very tough spot. And he said, I know it. And if I had the shot, I would probably think differently about taking those 10 bills or the 20 or whatever it was and giving them the deep six. But he was very straight up about it and how we could do it better in the future and, and asked if I would consider carefully the, the question and that we had X amount of time to work together and we wanted to improve it. And I said, and I do too. I want my people to feel confident that they'll get a fair shake when their bills come up and that your people will continue their working with us. I don't want that to be impeded and we agreed and from then on i've given him grace he's given me grace and and has been much more open and helpful in the legislative process i think people because of the initial souring have just kept that in place and that it's easier to be a, a perennial pickle sucker than to to uh, you know give somebody a little slack be that as it may, I think the relationship is better now. And and as we go through this, his last period and my period in these leadership positions, that I, I hope it'll be better.
0: We're going to end uh, with questions about both of your futures. You have encouraged Governor Ducey to stand against what you have referred to as Trump's bully caucus. Uh, you'd like to see him run for the Republican nomination for the U.S. Senate. What has his response been to you wanting him to run? And why do you think someone like him could win in today's uh, Republican political environment?
2: Now, this is going to be a very ticklish answer. This is where I do my my Texas two-step. One thing, I never did tell him to run for the Senate. And I was asked that by a New York Times reporter. And I said, he'd be a great senator. And I think he would. And if that's the governor's intention. But the governor's been some people call it coy. I think he's kind of given the message that he's not going to do it. And, and and I think, hey, that's what he says. There'll, there'll be other things for the governor. I, I'm i thinking a little bit higher than a senator, but, but that might be something that would blow the minds of half the population in Arizona, so I won't just vocalize it, so you can't peg it on me. But um, I think he's shown a lot of skill. But... There's things that he needs to improve and add on and, and prepare himself on. And, and as he's willing to do that, he'll prepare himself for future service, whatever that might be. Okay, so now let's talk about your future. Ah. You are term limited
1: out of the state house after this year. Uh, the Arizona Mirror first reported last week that you plan to run for the state Senate this year. Given all the vitriol that you've seen in the last more than a year— um, a lot of it coming from your own party, why do you want to run again?
2: Well, most of the vitriol has come from my own party. I get very little slack or challenge from Democrats. What do they care? They sit back and watch us, you know. Hey, let's go watch the gladiators kill each other. But it gets down to voice. I don't hear voices like my own. Hey, that sounds pretty vain, and it probably is. But I don't hear voices like my own. There aren't. Mrs. Griffin here in the, in the in the house is very qualified on on, uh, natural resource issues as is Sena Senator Kerr, very qualified. But the water battle and the things that we have to do, and the and the cred on that issue, that a public office holder needs to hold in order to lead out on that issue, I think helps me to help their talents as we move forward trying to to resolve and secure this particular part of our future. So I'm happy that one thing I, is a pretty certain thing, is that when I if I am blessed to, to make it through what I think will be a very difficult primary, I feel like I'm the underdog in this in this primary. The lines of my district are much more favorable to the three people that occupied the old 16. And and so it's going to take some people to really think about what they really want. Uh, Mr. Farnsworth has said that I would be a worthy competitor. And I say, well that's nice of him. You know, I, I don't want to be unworthy. But but competitor in what? I mean, if we laid our voting records, we're practically the same, with exception for the recent uh, uh, where I sponsor a bill on religious freedom and fairness for all that I think is a critical element moving forward in a culture that I do not control, but I can be protective of the overall religious freedom of Arizonans and to the extent it makes any difference to the nation, that there has to be a balance where some want there to be conflict, and that can be resolved. Now on that issue, and then of course on my reticence to allow the 2020 election to be what I would would truly say would be stolen, if I was to allow this to be uh, the results to be decertified. With uh, those two exceptions, I have no idea what he's talking about. I don't even know what people mean. Con- What conservative means. I am trying to conserve things as in decency, uh, rapport, how we handle each other and respect on the floor and respectful of of structures that have lasted for a hundred plus years that have kept our state just a balancing act in our state. And so it will be a spirited thing. If people don't want me, hey, life is good. I've got 20 grandkids, I'll soon have 21 if an adoption goes through that my kids are hoping for. And, and I can head up to Sycamore Creek and play in the, play in the water and paint and, and give services somebody else may want. So there's not a big loss, it would be, it would be hard, but I have a feeling that, uh, that we're gonna bring a real campaign.
1: Well, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. We appreciate your time and your candor. Thank you.
2: You're welcome.
0: That's it for today, Gaggle listeners. Before you go, please rate and review our show and share this episode with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget.
1: And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen. That's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Amanda Liberto with help from Kaylee Monaghan. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com.
0: You can also follow this show and other Arizona Republic podcasts like Valley 101 and our new biosciences show, The Lab, on Twitter at azcpodcasts. For The Gaggle, I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez. We'll see you next week.